And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 155, playoff episode number 13. It's Wednesday, October 14th. I know that because that's what the calendar tells me. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Bricciaroli here, talking about the LCS games that we just witnessed here on Tuesday. It was a very busy day. We started the day with word that a back strain was going to keep Clayton Kershaw from making the start for the Dodgers, and I definitely had the oh no, here we go again sort of feeling. Uh, we learned a little bit more over the course of the day. I think after that game ended, Dave Roberts in his post-game press conference told uh, John Morosi, among others, that Clayton Kershaw is on track to start game four of the series, held permitting. So it's Julio Urias going in game three, but the problem is Tony Gonsolin had to go in game two, and the Dodgers lost that game. They're now facing a 2-0 deficit in the series. So, you know, you know, I know you're as much of a Tony Gonsolin fan mm. as anybody out there, and uh, it, it wasn't. Uh, it was a nice start initially, but it kind of unraveled for him, and things really spiraled out of control in this game in the fifth inning. Yeah, you know, the first homer made me think of something that Nick Pollock from the pitcher list says, uh, which he talks about. You know, he talks crap on the splitter all the time, and he hates the splitter. Yeah, he hates the splitter, and. To me, I'm like, well, you know, it's a great thing for breaking ball pitchers to try and like do a two finger. Like, I like Vontas, I, I like Gonsolin. Like, it's a, it's kind of a breaking ball pitchers change up. You know, I, I'm into it. But when you saw that pitch that he threw to Freeman, right? You're, you're trying to command that pitch off of one finger. Did you see the slow mo of it? It just came off of one finger. And he didn't, I don't think he meant to throw an inside changeup to a lefty. I don't think he meant to do that. I think he was looking out and away and down. And um, I don't know, he just yanked it or a little bit or, or didn't yank it enough, but it it was lowing in. And Freddie Freeman loves lowing in. He's like, he's like your typical lefty drop the hammer guy. And he dropped the hammer on it. And once he did that, there was no looking back. I mean, yes. The Dodgers came back, but there was something about the way that worked. Like, if Freeman didn't hit that and didn't, they didn't get so far ahead, you would never have had Josh Tomlin in this game. And so if you want to say, like, the Braves' bullpen screwed up and they let the D Dodgers back in, well, imagine this without three runs from Josh Tomlin <laughs> because I think without all of the runs from the Braves, Josh Tomlin never pitches in this game. Right. No, that's a good point. I think people that look at it that way, you're, it, it's very short-sighted because the real issue here is the Dodgers' starting pitching depth was what they touted as the big advantage of this team. And it's really gone away now. And and they knew about this Clayton Kershaw thing on Saturday. Yeah. And 
they were hoping he'd be able to go. Game four is still up in the air from what I've read. Like they think he'll be ready, but that's the thing about anyone listening to this podcast. I mean, me, probably you guys has had back or neck aches, right? You don't really know when you're over them until you test them. So until Clayton Kershaw is physically on that mound, I don't know if you could pencil his name in. Uh, maybe pencil because you can erase it, but I don't know if you can actually say he's going to start that game four for them. Dustin May would be on short rest in game five now because they've used him out of the bullpen. Uh, we know the Braves starting rotation kind of goes off a cliff after these first two guys. However, and I mentioned this yesterday, and I still think it's valid, the Dodgers offense has gone missing for large chunks of the game, and that just can't happen. Yes, Anderson was good. They cannot. Yesterday, I think after the fifth inning, they didn't have a single person reach second base. Today, for half the game, looked like they were asleep again. And as Eno mentioned, if they don't have Tomlin in the game, it doesn't look quite as much like, yay, we came back, a, a moral victory. Okay, this is the NLCS. I'm pretty sure there are no moral victories. The Dodgers are staring down the barrel of their 32nd year without a World Series title. There are absolutely no moral victories. I think if you're the Dodgers, uh, you really, from a lineup perspective, have got to come to play over the next couple of days and capitalize on the inexperience in the Braves rotation. I'm kind of encouraged by the fact that they did rally, even if it was against Josh Tomlin. And when you look at this box score, there were 17 hard hit balls by the Dodgers lineup, and everybody in that starting nine had at least one. So... To me, that's an offense that might be waking up at just the right time. It has been a, a problem for them. They just haven't put runs on the board the way we would expect to this point. Uh, you see it in the XBA column, 304. Braves had an XBA of 232, right? We talked about that in the Astros race series a little bit where the Astros have had some pretty bad luck offensively. I think the Dodgers caught a little bit of that in Game 2. Uh, but looking through, I mean, Ian Anderson, 5 walks, 5 Ks, 4 scoreless, only 1 hit allowed. Had he been more efficient had he avoided those free passes might have been able to get a little bit deeper into this start that's the Achilles heel in his profile for me the more I've dug into Ian Anderson just seeing his walk rates in the minor leagues I think that's going to be part of who he is as a pitcher at least for the early part of his career we've seen Max Freed come up and sort of uh, improve in that regard by leaps and bounds really since arriving in the big leagues so it's far from hopeless and Anderson's doing just enough or even more than just enough right now to really kind of help stabilize a Braves rotation that really needs someone like him to step up. I think there's a, a relationship between command and confidence that was on display here a little bit, because I think Ian Anderson has good command. I think this, this, the situation and this lineup that he was facing sapped some of the confidence, you know? And if you don't necessarily have that confidence, you try to place it further away. You try to place it, you try to bury it more. And so he was kind of scattering it more than he might normally. I think if this was a regular season game, he might have uh, not had five walks like that. I, I thought he pitched fairly well. I, I, I'm, I was a little surprised to see the five walks in the box score. I knew that he was, he was, he was uh, you know, dealing with it and he had runners on base, but um, I don't think that Ian Anderson has bad command, is, I guess what I'm saying. I think that this was a good lineup, and you're right to, to point out all the hard hits. Uh, and and it's, not a, it's not a lineup that just goes all or nothing and just strikes out all the time. I mean, right? yes, some of these guys had strikeouts today, and Bellinger struck out twice, Seager struck out twice, Taylor struck out twice, 
but they all had these hard hits and they don't strike out all the time like this anyway. I think Mookie Betts will wake up. I don't think the Dodgers are going to go through this without winning some games. It'd be very surprising to see the Dodgers get swept, even if the pitching doesn't kind of play out the way we expect, right? We think in game three, especially, this is the a game we kind of earmarked at the beginning of the series is one that the Dodgers should definitely win. I mean, Urias is the better of the two starting pitchers. We trust Urias a lot more than Kyle Wright in this situation. And I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Dodgers come back on Wednesday and, and put seven or eight more runs on the board. Right. I mean, but you also have to credit the Braves, who everyone, including the three of us on this podcast, did not give a chance to win this series. How do you feel now about them winning two of the next five games? Certainly a lot better than needed before the series started, right? Uh, you know, I, one of one you could the Rates and Barrels podcast jinx is alive and well. I think we can all confirm that. Uh, <laughs> Astros and six. <laughs> we'll get to Derek's Astros later. <laughs> to be fair to us, Kershaw, you know, grabbing the back. Right. I mean, yes, it might have been somewhat predictable, but we didn't. We even if the team knew about it Saturday, we didn't. So right, that, right. I missed his call. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, <laughs> and before <laughs> and before the game started, I missed his call. Before the game started, um, you know, we didn't know that Dustin May would be pitching a relief, which I, I, I'm not sure that that necessarily swings things, but we talked about starting pitcher depth, and then the first game we're like, oh, Dustin May's not a starting pitcher. Uh, or maybe True. he is, but, you know, we'll see. Right. We also argued, should he be in the bullpen? So we were we were on the fence on that one. But he didn't pitch so much in game one that he wouldn't be ready to start at least and go three or four or something in game four if Kershaw can't go. I don't think they've ruled that out. I think game three will determine whether or not May is available for game four, right? But everybody that could pitch in game four has pitched. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's otherwise it's Alex Wood, right? Who who's, who got uh, five outs in this game. And that was in mop-up time, right? That was that game was out of hand at the point when Alex Wood came in. So it it seems like things are pointing towards May starting a game, I guess. I mean, how far back do you guys think they take this? They knew Kershaw wasn't right on Saturday. Why would they not have Dustin May be prepared? Yeah, yeah, that seems right. Weird. Yeah, if they, if they knew that back on Saturday, and they hadn't used Gonsolin in the postseason at all, you would have thought that their priority would have been. May over Gonsolin, but for one right. reason or another. But then they thought, we need to win game one. But they know Bueller's not right. They know his blister. He's not the regular Walker Bueller, right? He's lacking a lot of the, the finish and a lot of the command. You see the blister, like, I hope no one's playing a drinking game for every time they bring up the blister on the yeah. broadcast. You're probably legally dead. But, <laughs> you know, like, they, they knew he wasn't right either. Don't ask about the pants. <laughs> Definitely don't ask him about his tight pants. Um... There seems to be some weird decision making, right? I yeah, I think I would have held Dustin May back, but then we saw how tight that game was and how they went to Jake McGee only after the game was blown, and they might not have had like another reliever they trusted. I don't know. I think there is there's still some reliever reliever questions here, even on a night where I guess the pen was good for the Dodgers. Uh, you know, five and two thirds, three <laughs> so runs. So convincing. Well, I don't know what what five and two thirds and three runs does not sound that great to me, but it uh, it kept them yeah. in the game. Sure. And it wasn't the A team. 
Yes, agreed. They were also so, behind eight to nothing, seven to nothing for a while. And so it actually is, it's easier to stay in the game that way. The calls yes. start going your way. The calls yes. start going away, and the opposing batters just start basically losing swinging focus more yep. and like lose focus. So there's definitely kind of an equilibrium thing that happens in baseball. I agree. A couple of questions that came into the mailbag about this series. This one comes from Peter. A quick thought about Braves Dodgers, especially in light of Duvall's injury. What on earth would be more fun right now than Yasiel Puig starting in the yeah. Braves outfield? He, of course, had that deal with the Braves that fell apart before the positive COVID test, and then Atlanta, of course, backed out. Uh, we're seeing Christian Pache play a lot, the very young outfielder. And uh, I saw, he was fun I think, today. Yeah, I, I think Pache is one of those guys that he's probably a better real-life prospect than a fantasy prospect, but he has a very nice ceiling, too. Like If he gets to his ceiling, he's going to be a player that we're talking about 10 years from now as a, a very good long-term piece in this Atlanta lineup. Well, they also have Pablo Sandoval, don't they? Which like nobody knew, like still existed and was alive until all of a sudden he's taking a big at bat in this series. It's fun. <laughs> it is also fun. <laughs> Can I uh, no, offer I think, you him you know, instead? Given that Nick Marquez has opted out, you know, I did they they didn't know he would opt back in. I also true. I, I think they really should have signed him. You know, renegotiate, but just signed him. I don't know. It's like, what do you? True. Is Yasiel Puig like on his deathbed? Like, what? Like, I'm sure he's okay now. No, and that was after the time that we were all like wiping off our groceries at the store. I mean, that was midsummer, so I think we'd <laughs> progressed to the point where a little more critical thinking was happening. Uh, so I was surprised they didn't work that out. You know, once Puig was healthy enough to join the team. Uh, especially with Marquecas opting out around that same time. There's no way to know he was opting back in. It didn't seem like there was any chance yeah. that he was going to do that. Why would someone opt back in? Like That just seemed <laughs> completely only, out of the, the question. Guy, right? he's, he's an odd bird. Yeah. <laughs> Isan Diaz Super came nice back guy. too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Both teams. that, But but the Marlins was a little bit different because Isan Diaz was like, oh, we're good? <laughs> yeah. I'm in. Be right there. <laughs> Hold on. I mean, Marquinhos must have known they would have been good. I yeah, he, yeah. Maybe it was similar think, because he also said like, "Oh, it sucked to see them all winning and and doing it without me." Or like, <laughs> kind of. Like, I think he went home and realized that like he was gonna have to probably retire, right? And yeah. then was like, "What am I doing here at home? I'm he bored." He has kids too, right? So there's like a, there's three kids, I believe. There's definitely this like retirement thing that happens with baseball players where <laughs> they're just like. Oh, wait, this is what life is for everybody else. <laughs> right, right. And I do think, too, that, like, he's a guy. Did you guys know he's the the longest tenured, like, active play, played in the most games without going to a World Series? I did not know that. That's a wow. great fact. Thank you. So I think that certainly the need to win plays in. I mean, people talk about how he was with the Orioles in 14. And, you know, he was hurt a lot of the times so that they were good. So... He really hasn't enjoyed. Obviously, the Braves haven't been in the World Series since 1999. Um, this could be really something special. And I think if you're Nick Markakis, you're you're looking around. You're like, all right, this is retirement one and two. Like, how bad would it suck if the Braves won the World Series and you opted out? You know, like, come on. No. So I I think that plays into it a little bit as well. But still, it doesn't matter. Like Puig would still be useful on this team. Uh, it, it like. <laughs> Marquez has looked overmatched on high fast on on hard fastballs. I don't know. He had two for four today, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But there were times. There have definitely been times in this series where I'm like, 
Marquez is close to retiring, as you just said. You know, like, <laughs> he's know. old. Like I've, I, I think he's been a little bit underrated by maybe defensive metrics and WAR and stuff like that over the past. But and he has probably had a better career than than uh, people might realize without looking um, at his numbers. But um, Puig would definitely have helped this team, and and it would be fun. Marquez also came in with a good bit of prospect hype, and while he was a very good player for a long period of time, I don't know if he was ever really that superstar, elite sort of player that some of the projections for him as a prospect might have suggested he'd become. Uh, but right. thanks, a lo- thanks a lot for that email question, Peter. We got one more from Levi, actually about Dodgers catcher Will Smith. Just wanted to know our thoughts about him from kind of a statistical perspective and was wondering why he can't seem to shake Austin Barnes playing time-wise. Because Will Smith actually was great this year, and there's probably going to be a Will Smith Will Smith matchup. Actually, there may have been one in the series already. So uh, keep an eye out for more Will Smith versus Will Smith. But he's been really good. I mean, the walk rate jumped this year. K rate came down from 26.5 percent to 16.1 percent. He's got legitimate power. I think he's the clear-cut starter on this team. I think you kind of see teams might share the catcher spot a bit more in the regular season. You get to the postseason, they're going to lean a lot more heavily on their guy, especially if they like the game calling, they like the defense, and they're getting that big offensive boost, which Smith over Austin Barnes is a no-brainer offensively. So I think they're going to keep leaning on him pretty heavily in the playoffs, and I think he's their clear-cut number one guy. If we get 162 games next season, Will Smith probably catches 110 or 120 of them and is probably a top five or top six catcher for for fantasy purposes i think that's a a fair place to put him right now if uh will smith faces will smith and doesn't come out to a song sung by will smith i will be upset getting jiggy with it (laughs) no that's the uh, one you want to go with no it's a terrible one that's the one i did come with (laughs) because it's funny no it's not funny okay no uh the 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 the, my point is um will (laughs) I think it's just that uh, young guys—they've uh, got—they've got to call the game. They—they've uh, got to—they've got to work on their defense. They got to frame, uh, and then they got to do offense. I think that we we sort of soft introduce everybody, and people were in San Francisco were even talking about Joey Bart. Wish like people they wished that Buster Posey had been around for Joey Bart, uh, just to sort of break him in easier. Uh, so I think that's just what the sort of normal process with a with a, a hitter. I did think it was kind of interesting today that the announcers were like, oh, you know, he's got a bit of a curveball problem. And then they fed him three straight curveballs in a big in a big moment. I think it was bases loaded with two outs. And um, it seems like something you want to deal with, uh, you know, t- across the board. Um, if you look at his pitch type values, which kind of sum up his production against different pitches, curveball, you know, splitter, but you don't see that many splitters. So curveball was really the only negative um, in his line. Uh, but the problem is then if you start getting the playing time, then people will game plan for you and then you just see curveballs. So he has to do something about that. Uh, and like a weak grounder to third is, is not not the solution. I think we saw that happen to Mitch Garver this year in Minnesota. If you look at the way he was pitched last year versus this year, he was feasting on fastballs last year, scouting report caught up. He just didn't come close to what he was doing a year ago. It doesn't mean he can't get back to something close to that 2019 level, but teams do find those weaknesses and they will exploit them. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's go to the Astros Rays series where Jose Altuve is not throwing the baseball very well. Um, about two hours before his error in game three, somebody asked me, is Altuve Chuck Knobloch? And I said, no, I don't think it's a full Chuck Knobloch situation just yet. Altuve makes a big error, and I see Joe Sheehan on Twitter like seconds <laughs> later. This has reached Chuck Knobloch's territory. And I'm like, oh, oh, no. That's how it goes. If Joe gets to have the official call on that. Um, you know, I respect his judgment, <laughs> and I think it's probably merited at this point. And I think as we continue to watch this series play out, the Rays' defense is relentless. I mean, John freaking Curtis doing crazy acrobatic things, making great plays. Uh, I thought the... How many bruises does Kevin Kiermeyer have tonight? Or Renfro. Yeah. Renfro. Renfro took a huge gamble, made a diving catch in the eighth that robbed Kyle Tucker of extra bases. That ball goes to the wall if he misses. Oh, it. look at this! Kiermaier's doing a post yeah. game with a uh, with a big rap. Oh, I'll on see that hand? in about eight yeah, seconds. Yeah, that was since from being I'm, hit uh, on a pitch. I'm way behind. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's because no, you no. have a illegal Korean uh, video <laughs> feed. <laughs> no one knows that for sure. Well, Wendell, Wendell, I got to throw some Wendell out there too. And Adamas, yes. man, everybody, dude. And Choi doing it, the splits. I mean, they, they've really been they've really been great defensively. The consistency with that is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, not only have they made every play, but they they've taken away hits as well, and just been so deflating. Like you said, that eighth inning for the Astros, they have the bases loaded. They're hitting hard balls. You saw Springer after you know. One of those terrific plays, he takes his helmet off and just throws it to the ground because there's nothing else you can do. Bregman had his sixth straight hard hit (laughs) that got taken away. Yeah, it's just out of control. I mean, I don't know where the Rays find these guys and then somehow fit them in, but they, they seem to, more than any other team, have every guy just kind of fit in, right? Like these little puzzle pieces, and they use them all so well. They use their bench. They use all their bullpen. And every guy who comes in, Kiermaier gets hurt. He leaves the game. All of a sudden, you're seeing Renfro, who had really done nothing, you know, has a big hit, makes these terrific catches. Um, It's just always a different guy. Joey Wendell, who struggled with his arm, and this winter, they put him on a throwing program, and now he's making these ridiculous plays. So oh, I didn't know that. He's, yeah, he's so just, good at you know, third. You know what, you know, I like to drop some knowledge here on R&B. Because... <laughs> That's great, though. That's great. Uh, you, I would just you, say... you and Derek come at it with the numbers. You know, I try yeah. and get you from a different angle. <laughs> I would say that Renfro was underrated defensively in San Diego. So I think that was I, I've seen him make a lot of plays. I even talked to him once about like 
his his head moving on like he 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 can like he's made plays with his eyes closed you know like literally i know that sounds ridiculous i don't know but you know you're podcasting with your eyes closed (laughs) no but when you you slide you slide sometimes right you you think you're gonna you're gonna get the contact you you think you're gonna hurt yourself like there's definitely a like two or three big catches that he made in San Diego where his eyes are closed and he's catching the ball. So I, I think he's like an underrated slider catcher guyer to 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 get my inner Kevin Millar. Slider catcher guyer. We saw that Golf today. Golf ball though. whacker guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's immediately where my mind goes. But they did it again with sort of the one foot toward the good relievers, one foot toward the the middling ones. Like they didn't have to use Nick Anderson today in the Rays bullpen, which means he's very much available for game four. And I realize he was not himself in game one, but now he's very rested going into a, a possible a series winning situation. He might go two innings if he's needed to go two in that matchup. Uh, I think the the way we've talked about the different relievers and how they fit was perfectly put together I think it was Mike Petriello had the tweet and they referred to it as kind of like the octopus of all the Rays relievers in one gif from all the different arm angles and from both sides and everybody labeled I think it was at least like six different pitchers and it really drove home that point of how difficult it is to just even pick up what's coming at you and then the one at bat in particular the ending of this was not even like a great ending. Carlos Correa had a, a softly hit infield single that, you know, was probably one of the few things in the series that have broken the Rays way or the Astros way rather. And it was just a great back and forth with Ryan Thompson. And Thompson was throwing frisbees up there. It was just it was like seventy seven with breaking away from a righty and kind of almost rising uh, because of the release point and everything. And then like 95 at the same part of the plate. I just, I couldn't believe they were getting that from Ryan Thompson in that spot. And the back and forth, some of the swings that Correa took, you could just tell like watching his posture in the box, he was really uncomfortable. He was really unsure at the beginning of the at bat, what he was going to get and what he's going to do with it. But you could kind of see it coming together as he followed more pitches off. He was getting a little bit more comfortable. He kind of had the timing down. He had a little more of a plan. And, you know, credit to him, he fought enough to get on base in that situation. But I actually thought that was one of the best at-bats we've seen so far in the series. Yeah, that that pitch was like a Frisbee. It just, like, had this crazy tail at the end, you know, like when you're playing Frisbee in the backyard and all of a sudden it goes five feet past where you think it's going to go. That's what that reminded me of. Like, sorry, I had no control over that Frisbee. Um, You know what I was thinking of, too, guys? It's like we sit here and we, like, hammer some of the decisions made by managers and, and have we one time said what the hell was Kevin Cash doing? You know, you've covered the race pretty closely. Have they done anything question? Like has anything not come up Kevin Cash this October? It's amazing. I think that like some part of it, you have to give them credit for and some part is luck. Um, but like, you know, I look at something like, like what you said, you know, tomorrow's the deciding game, and they've used their bullpen for twelve innings in the first three in the first three games. You'd think they won the first three games. You'd think they used their A team three times. You would think they gotta punt this next game, you know, and win in five, you know. They don't. They don't have to punt the next game. They have they have uh Nick Anderson available. Uh and they have other guys available. They they used by using Aaron Loop. 
you know, for two outs and using Ryan Thompson for one out, they they create these things. Like Diego Castillo pitched tonight. He he got he shut the door. He hasn't he didn't pitch the night before. So he's available tomorrow. So they've got Diego Castillo and Nick Anderson, two guys that are going to throw 97 with killer breaking balls from different arm slots, just like Derek is talking about. And they and they can get probably, you know, six to eight outs from those guys tomorrow. So you get glass now. That means you're only trying to fit in like three, four more outs. You know what I mean? Like that's it's all you're looking for. And you and if it's really it, and if you get lucky and you and you run out to a big lead, it doesn't matter. You don't even have to use Nick Anderson, right? Or you can just use right. him at the very end. Uh, and if you, if it's tight. You're just getting three or four outs from guys. Maybe you can even use Curtis for an out or Thompson for an out. He only he only like he only threw 17 pitches. I mean, maybe he could come back, loop through seven. Like some of these guys can come back. So I don't know. There, it's something about team construction. Uh, it's something about buy-in from all these guys. But it's also um, there's some luck. I mean, you've just seen it. Charlie Morton yesterday did not pitch the better game than Lance McCullers. There's defense as part of that, but also. Uh, some luck. I mean, as good a defender as Margot is, he has to go over the well, you know, to get that to get that catch. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, there are other good defenders who are as good as Mar- as Margot that are not going to, you know, go over the well. So um, it's a little bit of a little bit of everything, but it, it does seem like kind of like the 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 storybook tale, right? Like the like they they can't they can't do any wrong. No, they're running red hot and they're they're playing well and running hot which is an extremely difficult combination to deal with as we're seeing for the Astros I mean their frustration was as visible as it's been at any point during the series and and for good reason uh, one other thought here on the Rays bullpen Jose Alvarado kind of a forgotten guy I think he only made nine appearances in the regular season <laughs> upper 90 stuff from the left side nasty curveball I mean like he could be the guy that comes in in the fifth or sixth inning if Glassnut goes a little short you throw Alvarado, a B-team guy in this bullpen right now, who'd probably be the second or third best reliever in just about any other bullpen. And if you have a little yeah. bit of a lead, he can throw, he can like walk a guy or two, you know, like you, you, you leave him out there for a little bit. So, and the Randy Rosalina experience continues. Yeah. <laughs> you know, story. <laughs> I mean, the thing that was funny was that like I wrote about how like you know you could try breaking balls high. And fastballs low, and I've seen some of that in in like their new book on him. But today he hit a high fastball for a single and two low breaking balls for a single and a double. One of them was kind of like a magic wandu hit, like a he kind of fisted that uh, fastball, that high fastball was up and in on his hands. He fisted that into the uh, into the outfield and maybe got a little lucky. But you know, if one hit was lucky, the other two were not. And uh, he just seems he has a good collection of hit tool, uh, the ability to hit the high fastball and the low breaking ball. That's like a pretty good combo in today's game. You know, it's like like that's what everybody's trying to do to you. High fastball, low breaking ball. That's the game. And he he happens to be really good at hitting those. So uh, we just saw more of that today. That was that was kind of fun. Yeah. And and speaking of luck, Kiermaier gets hit with the pitch. He gets the x-rays, come back negative, just like a contusion, which is that yeah. fancy word for bruise. So it looks like they dodged another bullet. And I, I do kind of wonder, guys, I don't want to say is this karma for the Astros, but Jose Altuve was a such a big part of everything the Astros 
were. And for him to be this guy now who maybe has the yips, maybe doesn't have the yips. I don't know. I mean, you know, Dusty Dusty said, like, you can go in a defensive slump. And, um, you know, he said he's not going to be the DH and stuff. But we see right. he also has some knee problems. Like, there could be something physical. Uh, I think the karma actually comes in a little different spot. Yuli Gurliel on that throw from uh, Altuve, uh, on some replays, it kind of looked like Gurriel p- picked up the ball while his foot was still on the back. Right, right. And he's been struggling too because Dusty took heat for playing him that game. Yeah, and then wasn't there, there was a big check swing call tonight. I think it was in the ninth uh, with, with two guys on. I mean, it's 5-2 with two guys on. There was a big check swing. I think it was a strikeout for the for the second out. And um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything, but I'm just saying that like, who <laughs> would be mad? But your lips are moving. <laughs> who would be mad at the Astros? Like who would be most mad other than the fans? Yeah, I, I get I it. I think it would I, be the umpires. Mm-hmm. I mean, who are you jobbing the most other than That the fans? is a good point. That's a better point than like Altuve's knee hurting because to me that hasn't really limited to do with some of these throws. That might be true because he's been hitting homers. Like if he can hit tanks, then maybe his knee's okay. And if his knee's bothering him at this time of year, they're going to give him so much cortisone or pain meds (laughs) that he's not going to feel anything. So, you know, like they're going to give him enough tranquilizer to like knock out a horse, you know, at this time of year. But he's so sure-handed on defense and he's just not... Haven't you read that Rick and Keel book? Like yeah. the, the the yips come at you, and there's nothing you can do. They just come for you. What do you call it? The monster. You know, the monster comes. Oh and... man, Chris Davis wrote about the monster. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I mean. You, you just see these guys who are Chuck Knobloch. They're just not the same. So mm. I don't think there's a way for Derek's Astros to come back here. Do you guys think there's? <laughs> I, I know the they can't win in six, so, <laughs> so that prediction's out the window. So I've, I've definitely got it wrong, even if they somehow find a way to win four in a row. Which, frankly, does anybody outside of Houston want to see that? No. Well, I've got a question for you guys, though, because it occurred to me that I, I've been enjoying watching these games, but they haven't all been super close. I guess they've been kind of close, but they've gone a certain way to the point where. The series aren't close. So have these been good series? I'm going to answer your question like I'm a lawyer defending someone for watching illegal cable feeds. <laughs> and say these have been good baseball games. They've been good baseball games, yeah. <laughs> You're parsing your words, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> the score hasn't always reflected the game. Yeah. How good the game is. Today's Dodgers Braves game, not a good game. Not close right. at all. But if you if you Eight, wake seven. up and look at the box score, I don't know who still does that anymore, like people's <laughs> grandparents. You're like, oh, eight to seven, this was pretty close. Tonight's, you know, the the Astros Rays game doesn't look that close in the scoreboard, right? Five to two. Was that what it ended up being? And yeah, it was tight. It was tight. They loaded the bases in the eighth. Yeah, tying runner on on at the plate in the in the ninth inning even. I actually think this has been a great series. The Astros-Rays series, despite the fact the Rays have won the first three games, which doesn't make me sad at all. It makes me wrong. They've been good, all very good games. Yes, yes. So maybe not good series, Eno, from like the bird's eye view, but if you actually enjoy baseball, I think they've been, been by and large, good and exciting. Even today, as much as it wasn't a good game for most of it, like the Dodgers were 90 feet away from tying that game. Yeah, yeah. 
I just, I guess I'm sad that these good games, I almost wish that some of the breaks had gone in different directions so that we just have more good games. You know what I mean? Right. I think the games have been good, but I feel like I don't know that either of these series is going to go past five. Yeah, we're going to have one and one, one, we'd be in a much better spot. We're going to have like a, like a half, like almost a week off before the World Series starts. It's true. Get those chicken stories ready. We're gonna have some dead air. <laughs> the chickens ready. Dust up the on uh, the old uh, equestrian lessons. Get ready to pass on that knowledge. Uh, real quick, one more mailbag question. This one came in from Reggie. Uh, Reggie wanted to know how the fake crowd noise is determined at this stage of the postseason. Is it determined by the home team? Is it determined by MLB? Uh, especially in Arlington, where you've got a quarter capacity. What's going on with the crowd noise? At this point, well, I realized that I reached out to uh, Rangers PR and got an answer, but I did like I, I have the inner lawyer in me now, and I realized I didn't actually answer that question as it was maybe perfectly intended. <laughs> I this is the question I answered: MLB is handling the noise. That's what I right. know, which but, doesn't mean that they're necessarily pushing the buttons. Or I don't know if they're favoring the home team, which is like the quote unquote home team. Mm. Because in these series, it switches, right? They're Mm -hmm. like trying to keep up this idea of like home field advantage or whatever. So I don't know if they're like, okay, press the the button louder for the Astros today. They're the home team. (laughs) I don't, that part I don't know. So I didn't answer the question fully, but I I did try to get an answer for you. And I do know that MLB is handling it. It also took me a few minutes today to realize that Houston was now the home team. Like, yeah, I don't know, exactly. was I the only one kind of confused? It took me a few minutes. <laughs> well, the, the whole concept of home is being thrown on its head. I, there is yeah. What's interesting is by the end of the season, they still had a 55% home field advantage. Like there was still a home field advantage. Um, so I think that comes mostly from when the first pitcher when the first inning starts for the for the home pitcher or whatever that thing and then batting last i think like baseball has baked in a little bit of home field advantage that exists without fans and in this weird alternate universe we've found ourselves in all right we've got one question for charity i promised one trivia question it's a very easy question because you each get one answer very simple here's what it is it's our friend Ian Khan has agreed to make a donation to charity if you get it wrong. I guess I have to make a donation if you get it right. We can only figure that out. Money will go to charity. You each get to answer one time. There's only one correct answer. Oh, gosh. We would like to know which player led the league in triples during the regular season. Oh, God. This player had six triples, by the way. I don't know if that helps you in any way, but... Triples? It's such a weird stat. <laughs> I never think about triples. It's a fast guy with power. I better not see you typing and looking up something over there, you know. I'm not. I'm not. All right. I, I've got a, I've got a guess. It's terrible. All right. Go for it. Fernando Tatis Jr. No, it's a good guess, but no. DJ LeMahieu. Nope. Well, Tatis like had idea. two and LeMahieu had two. So they, they were We're both not on even the board. close. Why are those good guess? Somebody had six. It's going to be like Matt Wieters or someone who like never <laughs> nah, come trumps. on, Come on. <laughs> Six of them? No. Ozzy like, Albies? Not Albies. Acuna? Acuna. Acuna. Damn. Freeman? Nope. Azuna? So naturally, <laughs> this player is still playing at this uh, point in the season. Bellinger? 
Not he Bellinger. Give us nope. the team, Derek. We're terrible. Yeah, we're. Really oh, they, they play for my favorite team. Oh, really? Yeah. Correa. Nope. It's a player I really like too. Altuve. Springer. No, it's not Altuve. No, I actually <laughs> like the player, even though I don't really like this team. Tucker. Yes, Kyle Tucker is the uh, correct answer. Uh, dude, there was a thing about Kyle Tucker triples this year. Oh. <laughs> 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 Fast guy idiot. with power. He's he's exactly what you described. Trey Turner second with four. Uh, Dad, Mike Krzyzewski four. Turner would have been a good answer because he's probably always around the top of that leaderboard. Uh, Trevor Story also had Tatis's yeah. triples went out. I guess. Yep, that's you can't hit too many home runs if you want to lead the league in triples. Damn. That's what they tell me. True, that's true. Oh, yeah. That was good. That was harder than naming random twins. Yeah, well, money goes to charity. It's either mine or Ian's, but it'll go uh, on behalf of Kyle Tucker and you guys. So uh, <laughs> details for that. It's going to the American Cancer Society. It's on my Twitter page, at Derek Van Riper. You can find Eno on Twitter, at Eno Saris. You can find Britt, at Britt underscore Giroli. If you're enjoying our show and would like to take a moment to rate and review it, we'd really appreciate that. It goes a long way toward helping new listeners find the pod. And if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get that Randy Arena piece we were talking about. Just $1 a month, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. But you get more than that. You don't just get the Randy Arena experience. You get <laughs> all the Brits articles, all the Eno stuff, fantasy stuff, soccer, basketball, hockey, football, whatever you like. We have it covered. You can email us, rates and barrels at theathletic.com if you want to reach us that way. Be sure to check that every single day. So if you've got any good questions, we'll get to those on tomorrow's episode. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.